This episode is brought to you by ProMensal. Welcome to Thriving in Menopause, brought to you by Prevention Magazine. I'm Andrea Duval, editor of Prevention, and today we're talking with mindfulness coach Charlotta Throp. Now, we know that during menopause, our moods can swing wildly and we can experience anger, sadness, or despair so intensely that women often say, what happened to the fun, happy me? So today, Charlotta is here to share some tools and techniques we can use to feel calmer, lighter, and happier. Welcome, Charlotta. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So I just wanted to start by saying, you know, we often hear this term mindfulness these days, and sometimes I think it makes us feel more stressed than relaxed because we don't really know what it means. And we might have tried it once and thought, oh, I can't get rid of my busy brain. So can you explain? So it is about being curious about, you know, where we're at, what's happening for us in any given moment. What's our experience in the body, as body sensations, as feelings and thoughts? What's happening? And with that, there's a befriending, befriending our human experience. And, and I think that links into menopause very much because I think part of the problem is perhaps because of the way we see it. You know, I was talking to somebody about it the other day and she said after our conversation, she said, my God, I just used to think it was the most awful thing that laid in front of me, just dreadful, just pain and, you know, more sagging and misery. And now she said, now I think, oh, wow, actually, it's a birthing process of a new version of me. And I think that's how we need to shift it, because it is a letting go of an older version of ourselves for a new version to emerge. There, there, you know, there's a letting go process. It's like the butterfly, right? We're going through a process. And, you know, we have been with the, the, the whole thing of menopause has been hijacked by a medical model that has kind of gone, we need to suppress these symptoms, you know, but perhaps there's another way of seeing it. And perhaps the more we see it as something we're going to, and we might be welcomed by other women on the other side as, you know, what might this new era uh, offer us. That's a very different way of then experience, navigating it. Okay, we'll be right back after this message. Perimenopause can actually start in your 40s. Declining estrogen production during perimenopause brings on changes to menstrual cycles and often the onset of hot flushes, night sweats, mood swings and sexual problems. Promensal Peri is specifically designed for perimenopausal women and can help relieve these common menopausal symptoms. Promensal Peri is available at leading pharmacies across Australia and offers a cost-effective treatment at under $1 a day. When things start to change, try Promensal Peri. Always read the label and follow the directions for use. Okay, we're back. I like, too, the way that um, you say that when you are able to do this, um, it can help release us from the endless guilt of not doing enough. I think most of us can relate to that. So, you know, it, because it helps us being present with what is and in the moment and knowing that I can only be in one place at a time, mm. <laughs> right? Mm. And I can only do my best right here. The father of psychology, Carl Rogers, said before a session, he says, I'm enough. And that's a beautiful statement because it's like it fills our cup and settles the not good enough and then not enough and never enough. Because I'm enough in this moment. You and I, Andrea, we're enough. It's enough. 
right? And that's, that kind of dials down our anxiety straight away, isn't it? One of the things that I thought was interesting was that you've said that um, our brain changes by what we pay attention to. Exactly, exactly. And they're, they're not my words. They are people who are much cleverer than I am, so I'm just borrowing them. <laughs> you know, this thing that the brain changes through what we pay attention to, right? So that's actually the, the, the core of it. And so we're going, okay, but am I in control? Are you, can I, are you in control of what you pay attention to? You know, is your phone or the world controlling your attention or who is in control? So that we start with training our attention muscle so that we can start to more consciously form and shape our brain for a good life. Well, that sounds where we start. That sounds like a, a good lead into an exercise. So do you want to take us through a little mindfulness moment? Yeah, sure. Let's do that. So um, if you close the eyes and relax the shoulders, and if you then start by being aware of the sounds around, and then be aware of the sensations of the feet on the floor, the sensations of the body in the seat, the sensations of the hands in the lap. And then come into observing the breath from that perspective of the body is being breathed and we are just the little observers. And then you can count on the in-breath and then count a little further on the out-breath. So you're allowing that out-breath to sink into the body. And if there's any hesitation in the body for that, just acknowledge that with acceptance. Okay. You might also reassure the body. It's safe for me to really breathe out. Dear body. And then gently open the eyes. And take a moment to just notice how you feel now compared to before you did that, right? And that even in the midst of a hot flash or whatever, we can access that. It's always available to us, right? To just take a moment. We can also just put the hand over the heart and notice the warmth and then reassure ourselves, it's okay. In this moment, I'm actually safe in spite of what the mind might say, right? But actually right now, sitting here, there's no danger. There's no danger. It's interesting how putting the hand over the heart has some power to it. Yes, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, And and part of it is just coming to our senses again, coming into the moment, because when we just notice that sensation between the hand and the body, there's that now I'm here, I'm no longer lost in thought, right? It's very easy for your mind to start saying, oh, what were those things I needed to pick up from the shop on my way home? And how do you stop that mind chatter? Yeah, yeah. Um, And so with mindfulness, we talk about a formal practice and an informal practice. So the formal practice is going to help you overall dial down the intensity of the chatter, right? And then the informal is when you notice that it's running amok with you, shift attention and do the little informal that we just did, those five magic breaths. Plus the third one is we've got to protect our attention. So, you know, a person in the 15th century was exposed to the same amount of information in a lifetime as we're exposed to in one day. 
And that means it's the same brain, right? So we need to go, okay, do I really need to know all the nitty gritty of all the dramas that are happening today? No, I don't. I don't need to know the news. I don't need to, you know, um, know the worst things that are happening. And I don't need to check my email every minute, nor my Instagram, my Facebook. But I can actually go, okay, I need to think of this in terms of what keeps this little system healthy. And we know that a distracted mind, one that's always lost in the reactive, is not a healthy mind and is not an, a mind at ease. And particularly at a time when we're going through hormonal upheaval like menopause, we certainly want to come into that ideally of having found a calm mind because we're going to navigate it much calmer. So are you suggesting this formal practice is something that you should do every day? Yeah, the research is very clear that uh, the more practice, better. Um, but the formal practice is just a minimum of 10 minutes a day. Um, so we've run many programs uh, on mindfulness at work or uh, retreat or ongoing programs. And it's always that 10 minutes a day over um, eight to nine weeks that gives you that give you the results. That's when people go, wow, I feel a lot less stressed. Um, I can access the, the little ways of reminding myself or just breathing when I feel t- you know tense. I sleep a lot better. I'm no, I'm no longer feeling burnt out. I have a bit more energy. I'm also walking better. More. So all of those things kind of come they start early but then they really gain momentum so we see a reduction in stress of you know 30 about 35 percent on average in the ongoing programs and that's just after seven weeks seven six eight weeks it's really quite amazing right seriously i think one of the challenges that women have and obviously if you do a seven week practice this is going to become easier but i'm thinking about some of the scenarios. I remember in our series one, the comedian Julia Morris was describing how during menopause, she would have the most murderous road rage just to the point where she'd almost get out of the car and want to stab someone. So part of the practice is about getting in front of your emotions and stopping some of those really extreme kinds of feelings that you suddenly have. Yeah. Oh, there's so much to say about that, right? So, the, <laughs> so the, the first thing is just to go, okay, with your daily practice, you, not as much will enrage you. And you'll, so that's the first thing, right? The other thing is you will start to notice the early indicators that you're getting very angry. <laughs> and they show up in the body because the body is the language of the reactive. So it shows up there first and actually 0.56 of a second before thoughts come in. So if you can notice there's something brewing and then immediately give you that, give it that kind curiosity, it's okay, it's okay, little body, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Then you're putting your attention at the source of, the, of where the rage is starting. Right. Yeah. And you soothe it and you soothe it much faster than if the cat's already out of the bag and you're dealing with all the thoughts about why all the other people are so freaking infuriating. Right. Because it's not about that. That's a completely that's a misplacing of your attention. So 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 they're the first two things. You'll you won't get as angry. You'll be able to catch it much sooner. But I'd also be curious about what when when the cat is out of the bag. What is it that triggers you? Is it about powerlessness? Is it about, it is, is it anger? What is being born? Because in this huge transition of menopause, lots of feelings that may have been suppressed or ignored come to the surface. And it is our job to, to at least see them, to go, oh, hello, freaking rage. <laughs> oh, hello, 
you know, of, at not being seen, for instance, at being ignored and not having a voice and not being respected and whatever, whatever our wounds have been that we've carried, they come to the forefront at this time. So, so in order to move on, they need to be acknowledged. Ah, so tell me, in terms of setting up a practice, are there particular times of day, for example, that you find, is it the sort of thing that is best to do, say, for 10 minutes before you get into bed at night? Does, does it have benefits for sleep? Oh, absolutely. Um, I always say the very best time to do it is straight after exercise because that's when the learning hormones are really active. But the most important thing is really to do it. So whether you do, it doesn't, you know, it matters less when. And I've just finished a couple of uh, training courses today and quite a few of them said I do it at night and, boy, I just sleep the best sleep. And if you didn't sleep well, then that's the thing to do because sleep is the foundation of everything, mm. right? Mm. So, so that's the good place to start. Yeah. So one of the things that you also speak about is this can be the foundation that sets up all of the other healthy practices that we know we should be doing, whether it's healthy eating, whether, as you say, it's sleeping, the, the kind of things that set us up for well-being. Yes. Yes, that's right. So, so in one of the ex, one of the the, the program all the programs that I run, one of the exercises is to write a letter to your dear body. And sometimes people go, "Well, that's a freaking weird thing to do. Why would I do that?" You know. But I would highly invite invite listeners to do that. Just sit down, do your five magic breaths, allowing the out breath to be longer than the in breath, and then put pen to paper and write "dear body" and see what happens. And then write a letter back from you, from the body to you. Because that relationship, that relationship between you and the body is the, is the well from which your wellness might emerge. Because from that you go, oh, body, I'm sorry. Usually we go, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the late nights. I'm sorry for the too much alcohol. I'm sorry for this. I promise I'll try to be better. And the body usually say, oh, darling, yes, you've been freaking tough, but let's start to collaborate a bit more. And from then, you then start to live in a, in a healthier relationship, connected inner life that then goes, whoa, we need to make sure we sleep enough. Otherwise, we pay for tomorrow and, and, um, and also ongoingly, right? We need to make sure this body moves because that's my responsibility. We need to make sure it gets good food because that's my responsibility. This organism is my first home. Mm. And I need to also make sure that we find calm because that's how this, that's good for cell wellness, right? So they are the principles. And when you, when you, when you've connected, it brings on the wanting to care for, right? So because we tend to protect what we fall in love with, but we can abuse what we feel disconnected from. So that's why we start there. Yes, yes, being kind to ourselves. And that's such an interesting thing. We live so much in our heads, don't we? Yeah, I certainly did before mindfulness. I never realized I was anxious. I just thought, no, I just need to get that exam done, then I'm fine, then I'm fine. Right. I didn't realize anxiety because I was disconnected from the body and its language. And in all the times that I've spoken to you, Charlotte, you've always exuded such calm. Tell me, how long have you been practicing mindfulness yourself? Uh, about 16 years. Yeah. And, and I was, I came from a, a very intense drama queen material, I have to say. So, <laughs> so I have come a long way. <laughs> and, and the thing is, it's so much, of, so much of a better life, you know, even when going through a difficult time, there's still, it's still okay. 
We'll be right back after this. Okay, we're back. There is so much evidence now around the benefits. I think probably the most wow thing is always when you see it in real life. When mm. when you know you come back to a group after a week and somebody is saying, "Wow, I, I have I've started sleeping through. Wow, I've I did I caught myself and I didn't scream at my kids. I noticed that, that that's the thing that you go, wow, and that's after one session and you've taken it on. So it's always when people take it on. Um, that you see amazing results. Now, it, it sits actually in Buddhism. So, so mindfulness is the heart of Buddhism, um, and it's 2,600 years old. The Buddha is much more of the Buddha, the, that word means awake. So it means becoming aware, if you like, right, of, of this human experience and then starting to take responsibility for it and managing it. And the very, very exciting thing in terms of science is that because the Buddha started really looking at it from a perspective of um, careful observation of reality, getting to know the mind. Now, that's actually a scientific approach, isn't it? Mm, right. Mm. And what we have then is a revolution in neuroscience at the same time. And what we're finding is that the neuroscience backs up this ancient practice. And if, you know, if I were to see one thing, one thing, Andrea, that has amazed me the most, it's probably that. It's probably that, that I can take an old Buddhist observation like we talk about second daggers, which is when you have something bad happens and you make it 10 times worse for yourself. And you go, and here's the neuroscience behind it, mm. right? So time after time, we go, and here's the neuroscience, and here's the neuroscience, and here's the neuroscience. But there's also things around, you know, uh, much faster, you know, better recovery after breast cancer. There is, um, you know, really good uh, research around reducing the, the, um, the amount of um, depression, uh, re repeating depression uh, episodes. Um, but there's also a lot around burnout. There's a lot. On, I mean, I teach at the executive MBA at Newcastle University and an enormous amount of being a healthy uh, leader and being a sustainable leader, a leader that doesn't burn out and doesn't have people around you burn out either, right, um, which is really important. Mm, mm. So I love the idea that you, you say about nurturing a deep, warm friendship with yourself. I think that's something we all deserve. Absolutely. And, you know, again, there's science behind this, that with every feeling of gratitude or friendship, it is good for the body. I get little squirts of oxytocin, yeah. right? And they soothe the stress reaction. And then there's amazing research that, that from the Connectome Project in the US that goes, wow, we know that a healthy brain is an interconnected brain, mean, meaning the individual neurons are highly interconnected, right? Now that a healthy brain, an integrated brain shows up as kindness and compassion. So this experience of kindness and compassion is kind of our true north. That is the thing we, we ideally aim for or, or invite in and cultivate. And also that means that when we're navigating something like menopause, can we be next to each other, next to ourselves in friendship and going, oh, darling, this is difficult. Oh, darling, this hurts. Oh, this, darling, this is confusing. Can I hold myself in that space? Because then I'm not alone and it's much easier and gentler to travel through. Charlotta, that's a lovely way to end today's episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to this podcast and also pick up a copy of Prevention Magazine where you'll find more great advice for thriving at midlife. I'm Andrea Duval, Editor of Prevention, and our podcast editor today is Rod Morrie. See you next time. <laughs>